0: And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum?
1: Thanks. Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony.
0: And I'm Maggie.
1: And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read, but you can't forget? We've got that, too. Comic books, nonfiction, it's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. I'm Harmony, and Maggie is here as well. And we are your hosts for Rebel Girls Book Club. And we just wanted to do a quick intro and introduce ourselves. So I'm a journalist living in New York City who really likes podcasts. And Maggie, who are you?
0: (laughs) Less succinctly explained than that at the moment. Um, I just graduated from grad school. I live in Washington, and I am currently desperately trying to become employed.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Every 20-something story. And why do you think that it's important that we called this book club Rebel Girls, even though I know you didn't pick the name, so I'm sorry for that question.
0: (laughs) It's all good. For context, this was Harmony's brainchild, and she brought me on after the fact, so uh, I'm equally as invested now, but some of some of the decisions were, were Harmony's. Um, I think it was important to call the podcast Rebel Girls, though, just thinking about the fact that um, I think any time that you really kind of call into question the literature and the media around you, you're doing something slightly rebellious, and I think that this is a very male-dominated field in a lot of ways, um, which is slowly being... Uh, kind of changed I think but still the people at the top who are in publishing companies and things like that are are usually men so I think that it's really important to just you know raise the voices of women and trans women and non-binary humans talking about the literature and media that we're consuming.
1: That's a really good answer and like much uh much of a better much better of an analysis than like why i initially picked the name because i initially just picked it because i like that song rebel girls and i i gave some people some some ideas of what the podcast should be named and they were like this sounds the best yeah i agree and it's interesting too because podcasting apparently is a male-dominated field which makes sense because women tend to be excluded from radio because we have voices that are very often demonized by the public i would say or i don't know our, our voices are picked on more than male voices i would say
0: yeah that's probably true that makes sense i don't really know i don't know anything about podcasting harmony is the podcast lover of the two of us
1: <laughs> okay so um what's your relationships what what is your relationship to books and reading
0: extremely codependent um, <laughs> learned to read when I was really really little and ever since then it's kind of been my like defining factor is that I'm a reader. In undergraduate I studied English literature mostly for the romantic area and um, typically from a new historicist and Marxist perspective. So I have kind of both a really just kind of like fun loving escapist passion for reading but I also have a very like specific scholarly interest in reading as well. So those two things kind of tend to get intertwined while I'm reading books.
1: What about you? Um, I think for me, books were much more of an escape thing during my childhood, um, as they were for you, it sounds like. But I think that's still kind of. I don't know. I don't read nearly as much as Maggie, full disclosure, because she reads like over 100 books a year. I do love books, but for me, they were really important because during my childhood, I didn't have a lot of toys and I didn't have a lot of friends <laughs> and I lived in the woods in the middle of nowhere for a long time. So <laughs> books were just kind of like my way of escaping my world. And even though it's become it's it's become less dependent, like I've become less dependent on stories and books, they still hold a special place to me. Uh, because of that and I think that I tend to have a much less scholarly relationship than you do because for me they're much more of like a creative thing even the nonfiction I'm consuming and books are more pleasurable to me when they're as I'm sure they are for you they're more pleasurable to me when they aren't associated with work and I think I tend to associate scholarliness with work but I like the philosophies behind books and the ideas and um Just kind of interweaving those philosophies and ideas within my life.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think that for me, my relationship to literature changed a lot from undergrad to grad. Because in undergrad, I was, as I said, like an English lit major among doing other things. And then like the scholarly nature of it definitely did feel a little bit like work but in grad school I changed my focus to be in museum studies and throughout that period I was lucky enough to get to take English lit classes at the grad level and for me that's really when it stopped feeling like work and the scholarly aspect like became the really fun aspect of it for me because all of a sudden it wasn't like the main focus of what I was doing all the time if that makes sense like getting to dive into books that way for me was all of a sudden like this fun pleasurable thing I was really actively choosing to be doing which I know sounds yeah. silly I chose to be an English major in undergrad like that was a choice but you know there's definitely classes they make you take as you know any kind of major that you have to take but you don't really want to be there you know and like in grad school I was able to really specifically narrow down on just take those upper level classes and the things that like I'm super interested in so that was cool. That's
1: very cool, and that makes a ton of sense because yeah, you were choosing to read as you do. What What's your relationship to feminism, Max?
0: Mm, I think guilty? Oh no. Not like an in intensely guilty way. I feel like I don't know. I'm generally pretty well versed in feminism, I think, probably, you know, as most people of our age, in our generation in our political leaning. to be I'm always learning more I try and be critical of the media that like I consume and things like that um you know part of the reason why I'm here and I podcast even though podcasting isn't really like my forte or or my thing but like I think that sometimes I feel guilty about it because like go especially related to books because going back to what I was talking about earlier with like my relationship to books like feminism is not part of my I don't want to say it's not part of it is not the focus of like any of my scholarly pursuits within literature which i think just makes me feel guilty because like most of the other women who i was a major with and stuff like that that was their focus and things like that and it's not like i have no concept of critical feminist criticism or anything like that but like it was just never my primary focus or primary interest and I always felt a little bit guilty and things like that and even now making this podcast part of me feels like well you know you're not the person who's who's up to date on all of this and everything you're not the foremost person in this field or anything what (laughs) what business do you have talking about this to some sort of wider audience so like I think in my personal life I feel pretty good about my status as a feminist, especially as somebody who strives to be learning all the time. But I feel guilty and strange about how it sometimes relates to my like professional life and stuff like that. And yeah.
1: That makes a ton of sense. But I mean, I don't think you should feel guilty because I, I know that I certainly am not up with the forefront of feminism. I, I enjoy it. And I I do have interest in it so it tends to be what my free time is spent doing i think i go to feminist book clubs in my free time and feminist talks and i try to consume feminist media that's just what i enjoy and i also think too a part of being a feminist like your identity should never just be one thing oh yeah so it's okay yeah (laughs) so like i think people have every right to read books that aren't feminist or that aren't written by female authors and and still call themselves feminists because i think really just being a feminist means that you are striving for equality in terms of gender and sex
0: oh yeah and And yeah so i think that my my guilt is something that i'm aware of the fact is kind of irrational also it's just (laughs) one of things where it's like the niggling feeling every once in a while you know
1: i get that yeah Yeah, I understand that. I think it's important, though, that we as people who aren't scholars do do kind of like talk about our readings of things. And I I think it's important and more accessible that way, because we're not scholars (laughs) and we aren't learning about feminism from a scholarly level. We're not in the
0: universities learning about it. Um, I think for me, part of that tension comes with the fact that that's the way that I read books so like it's a weird it's a weird intersection for me of a place where like I do feel very well versed and I know how to talk about books versus a place where it's I'm just coming from more of my personal knowledge on this matter
1: but also I mean you are and obviously one woman can't speak for all women right but you are you are a woman or like even femme identifying people like this is something that does affect Your everyday and your personal life. And I think when it comes to issues like feminism, the personal is more powerful because it's an identity issue. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, I don't know. It's something you've experienced, sexism. So that's something that affects your everyday life. And so your personal experience, I think, is just as valid as any sort of scholarly text or or research on the field.
0: Yeah. In some circumstances, for sure. I get you.
1: I did study feminism a little bit in college. And uh, one of the classes we took, which was wonderful, um, was called Woman in Writing. And one of the phrases, and I'll link back to it at some point, but one of the phrases, one of the feminist authors that we studied wrote was, uh, the personal is political. And that was kind of the through line of that class. And that kind of sticks with me today. And I know we're talking about scholarship, but that's what feminism is. Right. And it's important too, because women tend to be associated more with like, with personal issues. Like when we write, we tend to use the first person more than male authors. And we tend to be excluded from scholarship circles because of that. And we're associated more with romance novels right like the most female authors are romance novelists and there's a big <laughs> to do about that and we're associated with empathy in the home and those are all personal matters yeah for sure so I think those things are powerful and we're, we're here to value those things and that's not all that women are but I think that those things are
0: definitely valuable I Agree with you. Do you have anything else said about your relationship with feminism though? Just because I know that you were kind of riffing off what I was saying.
1: Oh, okay, um, yeah, I guess in a lot of aspects, I had a feminist mother, and um, I grew up listening to Ani DeFranco, and my mom wouldn't let me play with Barbies because she thought that they would give me weird body image issues, <laughs> so um, I think that. I was from a very young age like able to identify when things were wrong but I also still had some guilt with feminism growing up and I think by the time I reached college and I met Maggie I had mostly uh, dealt with that but you know I'm kind of a girly girl in a lot of ways I really love dresses I only wear dresses and growing up I loved nail polish and the mall and all of these like really girly things that are trivialized and um we're in a place in feminism where that's not an issue really at the moment but I felt guilty growing up because I always felt like it was an issue I felt like being boy crazy made me less of a feminist and um my sexual preferences sometimes made me less of a feminist oh and that's not the case (laughs) oh man
0: what no I was just gonna say that whole like less of a feminist thing is something that I think myself and a lot of other people like really struggle with you know like I chose to take my husband's last name and so therefore some people think that that makes me less of a feminist and things like that like the list yeah on
1: yeah and it's hard because then people and I think sometimes I've fallen into that trap where I get like like I'm very adamant that I will never take if I get married, my husband's last name because it bothers me, and my stepmother didn't, and um. But that's like it's it's a choice, and everyone has the right to cho- choice. And I also didn't know how to cook, and now I'm learning how to cook, and I realize how valuable that is. <laughs> and like I do cook in my relationship more often, not because I have to, but because I like cooking more, and I think my food is better. <laughs> And yeah, so we devalue all of those things that are traditionally associated with femininity. But that's not feminism because that's um, that's devaluing things that are traditionally associated with femininity, first of all, and also feminism is all about choice. What is your relationship to feminist literature?
0: Um, I mean, I would say gener- generally positive. Like, I read, I think that my thing is that, like, I don't really know what, feminist literature is right like not in the sense that i can't Mm -hmm. identify things that are anti-feminist right that's easy but it's more like i think i read this is this is a combining two questions into one so spoiler alert but (laughs) i think that my relationship to feminist literature can be sometimes clouded by the fact that like i would say i read probably like 70 percent books where like If I was to go back to like grade school and give you a book report, like would feminism be probably like one of the top three themes I talk about? No, but are all of the women in there like empowered or becoming empowered or like living their true authentic lives? Yeah, like does that make that a feminist book versus a book that like really exclusively is like focusing to talk about super feminist like topics and things like that? I would say I probably read like 20% of books that really focus upon that sort of deal. So like, I think that my relationship to feminist literature is generally pretty good. And I like and appreciate what I read in that genre, um, even if I wish a lot of it was more intersectional. But like, I think that my relationship to feminist literature is also a little gooey because of that.
1: That's really interesting. Yeah. So I guess that brings up uh, the question that I skipped, which was, how do we define feminist literature and um I have trouble with that because I think yes most of the books I read are written by women um and a lot of them I would consider feminist and I do think that they just because they're they're written they're written by women and they're about women usually right so I I think to me that's inherently feminist and I don't think that a lot of my protagonists usually are living their best lives. A lot of the times they are, um, they're limited by their circumstances. Yeah. The time period that they're in and um, the social conventions that restrict them. And I'm okay with that. I, at my feminist book club, we've talked about books that just kind of kill off women, right? Yeah. Um, they're written by female authors, but then the woman doesn't get a happy ending. And that's really dismal, but I really enjoy those books. Oh, me I read too. books with happy endings. Yeah, yeah, I enjoy kind of sad, dark books because I think that they're kind of true to life sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I also prefer a grim book. That's for absolutely certain.
1: Yeah, so I think a feminist book, uh, and it doesn't always have to be written by a woman, but I think it does have to... It has to depict realistic women. Um, and I think
0: that's the key for me, too.
1: Yeah. And those women have to be more than just the love interest, right? Like, they can be the love interest, but I want them to be doing something else, too. Like, I don't yeah. want their identities defined by the male protagonist.
0: I want like them to just be a real character and a real human, and I feel like that is such a low standard. But sometimes I look at the books I read, and I'm like, we are not even meeting that, you
1: know? Like, especially because a lot of books, like a lot of classic books, are written from male protagonists' perspectives, and in those cases, um, the male protagonists often don't see the the female characters as real people. Like usually. They're like, like the Great Gatsby. Like, there's some sort of symbol um, for a man's dreams or desires or something.
0: Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um, I don't just read classics, though. I just mean that kind of like, in general, you know. Like sometimes, even still, with something that's published in 2019, you come across a book and it's like, whoa, has this author ever met a woman before? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah. I guess it's been a long time since I've read a modern, <laughs> a modern book uh, published by a man because of where I'm at right now. So that's, that's fair. Yeah. I, I, so when I do, when I do read uh, books with that, it does tend to be like an older book, but I, I do recognize that
0: that's still probably a thing. <laughs> I, I promise you it is. I wish it, I wish it wasn't, but, but it is. And, but again, that's not to say that like that's a problem with every book right it's not it's just something that does still happen yeah okay so uh would you say that you read enough feminist literature I mean I would say that like 90 to 95 percent of what I read at least by the definitions that we're throwing around yeah it like it meets that and I think that sometimes it is worth reading things that like don't get it all the way Because I think that you always learn something from those experiences um, about how people who disagree with you think. Or, like, who are really trying to agree with you but just maybe aren't necessarily getting it yet to a certain extent or any of those things. Um, And I also think that, like, something that can be challenging about this whole situation is the idea of, like, whether... Authors like are representing their points of view through their characters and things like that. So, um, I think that sometimes I find books that tend to not necessarily be anti feminist, but not necessarily feminist either, sometimes fall into like that category of it's like their author might be totally feminist, but like their characters are just different from who they are as a person and things like that. I do think I could probably stand to read more books, especially more non fiction, where it's like explicitly like all right, you know, we're going to talk about feminism as one of our main themes. Because like I said earlier, I think probably like 20%, maybe 30 we're being generous of what I read really falls into that. Um, but part of that is, again, because I like to read for escapism. So like, who knows, you know? Yeah, that makes sense.
1: I could see that. I think for me, it's probably like right now, like 80% or 70% of what I read but a lot of that is because um, a lot of what I'm reading is for my feminist book club, or for this, <laughs> and uh, it just tends to be, yeah, it just tends to be more feminist focused because of that. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Um, let's talk about intersectionality because we stated that we want to make this an intersectional podcast, but we are also full disclosure two white girls and we're both uh well educated and um neither of us are homeless (laughs) at the moment so i don't know what does it mean then that uh we two white girls who are college educated and um aren't homeless (laughs) are are trying to do in terms of intersectionality
0: I think that it's really important that we acknowledge openly our limitations like we're doing, first of all. I think that second of all, it means bringing in own voices guests as much as possible when we're talking about themes that don't have anything to do with our personal lives, which is, you know, something that we're already currently have in the works. Um, And I think the third thing, it also means using like our place and our privilege and our voices to call out things that you know might be problematic or not truly representative for communities and also then listening most importantly when you know hopefully this goes out into the actual world and people might respond to us to people who know better than us and being able to learn from and grow kind of as a community in that sense
1: I agree I agree entirely and um I think it's true like neither this is a passion project of ours um So we don't have a ton of time and we are trying, we're going to try our best, essentially. Like the first book that we're reading is The Witches of New York. And for the entire six episodes that we're doing on that, we don't have any guests. But we're hoping to gather guests and we're in the works and talking to them. And also we want to hear from people and they can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. That's rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. And tell us their perspectives too. And, you know, tell us if you don't want us to read it, and we won't. Um, But if you do, we'll definitely read it. And we want to hear from people as much as possible. And I think that even when we can't get those other perspectives, we're going to do our best to still be mindful of them while also recognizing that we don't have certain lived experiences.
0: Harmony and I also have assigned homework for ourselves each week, mostly involving, like, researching aspects of intersectionality in the books we're reading that, we don't know a ton about yet. You know, like obviously, that homework doesn't make us experts, but that's definitely part of our mindfulness is trying to be really um, aware of and open to all new knowledge that, you know, we're gathering from this process.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also, we're doing this podcast through an app called Anchor, which you'll probably hear a ton. <laughs> you'll probably hear some advertisements in um, at least once in each podcast. But the cool thing about this app is if you also have it, you can send us voicemails and we can insert them in the podcast so we can hear, like, your voices. So that can um, make it a little bit more accessible for us to hear other people's voices
0: and other people's lived experiences. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Harmony handles the podcast logistics. I just kind of show up. (laughs) She does a lot of the writing so that's good <laughs> she's a very strong writer <laughs> not so much for um, the technology
1: <laughs> that's okay we all have our limitations i'm not great at the technology either but we're trying <laughs> um yeah so that's that's it i think for our little intro segment an intro podcast thing um the book i said that we are reading and that you're going to see for the next six episodes is called the witches of New York. And we're going to be reading in up to page page 136, waning gibbous moon, September 18th, 1880. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we will, we'll be reading up to that page that I just inserted. And I, uh, You can read along and, again, email us if you want to. And um, you'll find our socials at the end of this episode. So, yeah, reach out. Uh, Let us know what you think.
0: Okay. (laughs) Is that everything? You want to say anything else? I think that's anything. Do we want to ask just, like, one fun question? Yeah, let's ask one fun question. All right. My fun question is, so we're, you know, eight months out of, almost nine months out of the year what for you has been the best book that you've read in 2019 so far? Not necessarily published, but just something you read for the first time in 2019. Oh boy. Uh, I wasn't prepared. I've been reading a lot of really great books.
1: Um... Here I am looking at my books. What was the best? You know what? You're going to hate this because I know you didn't enjoy this book, but I really, really enjoyed it. (laughs) Are you about to tell me the answer is Her Body and Other Parties? (laughs) It is Her Body and Other Parties. I loved every single, even the Law and Order thing, even though I'm not an FBU fan. Like, I just, it was so experimental and I just loved, I just loved everything about it. I loved the really abstract, really out there stories. I think everyone should read it. And even Maggie, who does not like it, says that there are good stories in there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, like, I should clarify, especially because this is a very popular book and I don't want to get crucified. I think that (laughs) Carmen Maria Machado is a really great writer. It was just that for me, like, I couldn't get a grip on any of the stories. There were two that I really connected with, but, like, I felt like I was just afloat. Part of this is also because I have a really hard time with short story collections in general, though. So, like, full disclaimer.
1: That's very fair. Can I ask you the same question and just piggyback off of yours? Or do I have to
0: make my own? (laughs) No, you can totally piggyback off of mine. Although if you want to throw, I I have an answer, I think. So if you want to (laughs) throw, if you want to throw me, you can also do that. Um, Can I pick two, potentially? Yes. So for me, they're tied. The first being um, The Collected Schizophrenias by Esme Wong, um, which is like an essay collection nonfiction about her journey being um, diagnosed and living with schizophrenia, especially as an Asian American woman in the United States. That was just like, A, one of the most beautifully written things I've ever read in my entire life. But B, it's just so um, intriguing and eye-opening um as someone who, you know, doesn't live with the experience of having schizophrenia to see someone so outside of like, what the media tends to depict mental illness as right being like, No, like, this is my story. This is real life. This is real life for the majority of people with schizophrenia. And like, I've never subscribed to the idea of like, that media representation of, of what schizophrenia means, right. But that also doesn't mean that I had any indication of what the reality was either so i really really loved that book and i learned a lot highly recommend um but the other book for me is the night tiger by yangzi true which i'm going to tell you significantly less about because it's a like kind of fantasy historical fantasy novel that was just absolutely delightful a little scandalous amazing <laughs> that's wonderful i think at some point
1: uh i guess the listeners can listen to the background we should definitely do some scandalous novels. Um, I think that would be fun just to read from a feminist perspective. I have another question though. I figured it out. All right. Lay it on Um, me. What is like the most, I don't know. What's one big feminist issue or, or news story or something that you've been thinking about lately and have some feelings
0: about? Uh, uh, To be honest with you, I don't think I really have one. Because my mind politically has been really taken up with gun violence, which is not necessarily mutually exclusive from feminism, but um, is just kind of where most of my time and energy and things like that have really been sort of um, preoccupied with at the moment. That's I can very only, interesting. And I can only take so many sad things in one one day, you know? <laughs>
1: I understand.
0: I understand. I'm sorry. It's all good. Okay. <laughs> um.
1: All right. So that's it for now, I guess. Right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Bye. We'll see you soon. You can uh listen to our The Witches of New York uh podcast, which will be coming at you you very 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 soon. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You can follow us at Rebel Girls Book Club on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at RebelGirlsBookClub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by the Days. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously.